listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. I want to just take a second to thank everybody that helped us last night. Um, we had a, a big dinner fundraiser last night over at Calvary Bible Church. Many of you knew about it. Some of you didn't. It wasn't really specifically just for gravity, and so there wasn't a whole lot of promotion about it. But many of you had heard about it and signed up to help us, and we're just so grateful. My highlight of the night last night was watching all of you servers in action, just loving on people, waiting tables, cooking food, making plates. It was just unbelievable. I was just amazed. I was telling people last night afterwards, I wish I had a restaurant. I would hire every single one of you because you're just awesome. Just your, your attitudes, your smiles, just your willing hearts just to give. Just, yeah, it was, it was good. So thank you. If, you. if you fall into the category, you know who you are. Thank you. It was, it was really, really good. Yeah. Give yourselves a hand. It was a fantastic night last night. Let's jump into the work tonight together. We've got some stuff to talk about and I uh, believe it's going to hit our hearts tonight in a way that hopefully will ring true, will make sense, will inspire us, will give us... Um, some understanding for some places in our life. Last week, we talked about um, some very, very interesting and very deep things before we went into our baptism service last Saturday night. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read this scripture. The Apostle Paul says in this letter, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Talking about this idea that we live in a culture in this earth that has been captured by a different way of thinking than by the way of Jesus and by the thinking of the cross and by the thinking of the gospel. It's been captured and there's this understanding that The minds that we have and the things that we believe and the things that we give ourselves to and the things that we have adopted and allowed into our lives many times are not founded on Jesus. They're not founded on the truth of God. And they're founded upon other things. And they sound really good. And a lot of times they make perfect sense. And that's one of the things that coming to God with an open heart and with open minds is very astonishing to me sometimes, is that sometimes I go to God and in my mind I think I got everything figured out. I think, man, God, I've got everything the way that it's supposed to be and I've got it all in its perfect place and I know how to do this and I know what to do here and I come to God and in these moments like we've just had of worship where I just open myself up to Him, all of a sudden He starts to take the different pieces of my life and He starts to do this with them and move them around. I'm like, whoa, 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 you're messing everything up. God, slow down. That's not the way that it goes. That's not what it's supposed to look like. That's not where it's supposed to be. And all of my understanding of the things that make perfect sense to me now are being rearranged and now are being put in different places in my life. And I'm just like, "Uh uh-oh, I had it completely wrong. I had it upside down or I had it sideways or whatever. And when we talk about this understanding of the things of God and the, the, the teachings of Christ, it's really easy for it to get blurry in this world. This world does a really good job of blurring things so that you can't really make it out. You can't really see 
what you're looking at and really be distinct on what it is that you're trying to see. And the picture sometimes can get really blurry. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church full of people who claim to love Jesus. And he's saying to them, your life has gotten blurry. And the things that you believe about Jesus are not necessarily true. These people believed that Jesus wasn't really God. They believed that Jesus was like an angel. He was from heaven. He was probably really powerful, but he wasn't God. I mean, that's really strong. And they were saying that Jesus kind of was a mixture of somebody that could help them like an angel type being and somebody that kind of used some of the teachings of their day, some of the things that they had adopted and believed religiously and in their culture. And they combined it all together and they came up with this idea about Christ, except for it wasn't really clear. And so he begins to talk to them about what's really going on inside their heart. And he begins to make some really black and white statements. He begins to say, before you came to Christ... You were dead, but when you came to Christ, he made you come alive. Well, there's people in this room tonight who feel that that's a probably a really strong statement to say, what do you mean I'm dead? I'm not dead just because I'm not a Christian. I'm not dead because I don't believe in the Bible. I'm not dead. What are you talking about? He's talking about this understanding of a spiritual awakening that starts to happen, not a consciousness. Not like you're walking around zombies, like we don't know what's going on around us. But there's a difference between walking around and being unaware. How many of you have ever walked into a situation that there were things going on around you, but you were unaware? You didn't know what was really going on behind the scenes. You didn't know all that was taking place in the environment that you had walked into. I have. I've been in those situations where you just sense something. You're just feeling like... Something's going on, and I'm not really sure what it is. The Bible says that our entire life, before we come to Christ, feels like that. It feels like walking around a world that feels like home, that feels really, really familiar, but we're just not quite getting all that there is to get. And we have that sense that there's more to it than what I'm seeing And so we go after pursuits of this and after this and after that and after that, all the while trying to figure out what is really going on. We ask questions. We find people that seem to know what they're doing, right? We look at that. Man, you look like what you know what you're doing. What do you think? What do you think? We listen to talk radio. We turn on the TV. We do whatever we got to do to figure it out. But all the while inside of our hearts, we know there's got to be something more. There's got to be more to this picture. I'm just not seeing it all. And so Jesus comes into our world and he says, I'm going to open your eyes and then you're going to see it clearly. And then you're going to look around and you're going to freak out a little bit. You're going to be like, whoa. Because when our eyes are open, we really start to see things clearly, black and white, really, really contrasting who we were before and who we are now. And I've talked to people who have literally told me the words, I sometimes wish I could go back to not knowing. I've had people tell me that before. Because when your eyes have been opened, you see some stuff. And it's not all pretty. And it's not easy. And sometimes that old saying, ignorance is bliss, is true. But if your eyes have been opened here tonight, then something radical has happened to you. And it's affected your world. 
It's affected your culture. It's affecting this world that we live in right now. And Jesus says, as we've been talking about this understanding of a community of people and a culture that they live in, Jesus says that this culture is literally about coming from death into light, from darkness into light. And it's a culture of people that literally understand that something radical has happened to them and they proclaim through their lives and through their words that I'm not who I used to be. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And we begin to affect the world all around us with this understanding, with this, with this newfound perspective. I want to read to you excerpts of another letter tonight written to another group of Christians. This letter is a little bit different. This letter was written about 60 to 70 years after Jesus left planet Earth. So think about it. 60 or 70 years have gone by since Jesus walked the earth. How many of you guys can remember our culture, our pop culture, 20 to 30 years ago? You remember the music we were listening to? Come on now, let's just go back to 1989 for a minute. Come on, let's go there together. Anybody? Come on. Yep. Think about how much things have changed in America in the last 20 years. Who were some of the celebrities? Who were some of the famous people back then? Somebody throw me a name. Who? Okay. Who else? Oh my, now we're going back. Farrah Fawcett. Princess Leia. Now you're talking, buddy. Star Wars. You guys remember when the earth shook? When Star Wars came out, man, I mean, it was like something took us over. Anyway, think about where we're at now and think about who we were following, who we were fixated on, who the news and the, and the media and everybody was making a big deal about. And the reason that I bring that up is because 20 to 30 years is a long time for us to become disconnected from somebody that at one time we were following their every move. And then double it. Jesus was gone for like 60 to 70 years. And his followers, the ones who were so committed to his message, that were so committed to following after him, that they were just radical, that they were going into new cities and new towns, telling everybody that they knew about this Messiah that had finally come to earth. 60 to 70 years is a long time. And people begin to get weary, and they started to get discouraged, and they started to think, man, maybe this whole Jesus business isn't what we thought it was going to be, because they thought, like you and me sometimes, they had it all figured out. They thought that Jesus was on planet Earth to overthrow a government. They thought he was going to take over. He was going to be the new king, and they were ready for this to happen, and they were thinking, man, in the next four or five years, we're going to have ourselves a new king, and we're first in line to be his guys, and we're going to just rule the world, and Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. It's a different type of a plan, and it's going to take a while. And so discouragement starts to settle in. And this is a letter that's written to some discouraged Jesus followers. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, I believe. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about. When they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven. And it is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must not live as so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures even say, you must be holy because I am holy. It says in verse number two, like newborn babies, you must now crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I want to stop right there. And like last week, I encourage you to read this letter. Go home and find time to read this letter in its entirety. Sit down and take half an hour and just read it from start to finish and allow his words to hit your heart. He's writing to a group of discouraged Christians. And one of the first things that he says to them is he reminds them of the coming salvation that they're going to experience. One of the very first things that he brings to their remembrance. Why is that? Because sometimes when you and I are in this season in our life where we're in between two things, the waiting period is difficult and it drives us nuts. Nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to have to be in that place of anticipation and longing for something to happen. Many of us in this room tonight have opened our hearts up to Christ. We have opened up to the, the message of the gospel and we have said to Jesus, we want you, all that you have, come, take my life, I give it to you. And as a result, we have experienced this newness and this dynamic as he forgives us of all of our past sins and he washes us and he begins to show us a new way to do life. But if I were to tell you that sitting here right here right now, you haven't really been saved yet. Some of you wouldn't understand what I'm talking about. But the Bible teaches 
that our salvation is coming. It's not here yet. The day of salvation is coming when the rest of the story is going to unfold and Jesus is going to be exposed to every single person on planet earth and nobody will have a doubt in their hearts who the creator of this world is and who the king is and who the Messiah is. Everybody's voices will be silenced. Everybody's eyes will be fixed on him. And guess what will happen to you and me? We will be brought to him and we will be saved. We will be brought out from the unbelievers. We will be brought out from those who have doubt in their hearts. We will be brought out from those who say Jesus is not the way to God. And at that moment in time, our salvation will be complete and we will experience what you and I tonight are hoping for. The Bible talks about God placing inside of us a hope. And it says you don't hope for something that's already happened. You hope for something that is yet to come. And that's how we know that we belong to God. If you're here tonight and your hope is in Christ, you're His. You belong to Jesus. And the day's going to come when He's going to speak your name again and He's going to say, come on, it's time. It's time to go home. Come on, let's go. And there will be no hesitation on your part because the familiarity will be there because you belong to him. The Bible says that he is now a part of you and you are already a part of him. But we live in a world that's jacked up, right? We live in a world that is not saved yet. We live in a world that everywhere that we look, it's definitely ridden with darkness. So where does that leave us? Well, we've been talking extensively about all of these different ideas and thoughts that Jesus came to bring to us in this moment of waiting, this culture that we live in. We've talked about resolving our sin, resolving our issues with each other. We've talked about getting honest with one another. We've talked about being able to share the goodness of God with each other. We've talked about some really powerful truths, but tonight... We're going to talk about the culture that God wants here on earth more than anything else for his family. Jesus and God want his family, his body, to have a culture of maturity. He wants for us to grow up. He wants for you and I to grow, to not stay where we're at. He wants us to mature. And when you understand that and you really accept that, and then you look at Scripture again and you begin to read it, you will find that this theme is over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture. This theme of it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to understand things as they really are. It's time to have your eyes opened so that you can be who God wants you to be and it can affect the culture all around us. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks to this a little bit. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says these strong words. It says, there's so much more that we would like to say to you about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. Kind of hard, huh? 
He says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature and who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. How many of you guys here right now want to learn something? I do. I ask that question because what we're talking about right now is optional. You don't have to learn this. This scripture makes it very clear that it's possible for you to be a believer in Jesus, a Christian, a follower after the things of God, and to still be pooping your pants. Yep. It's not a pretty sight, is it, when you think about it? Not a pretty sight at all. See, maturing is not just about listening. If it were, all of you would be mature. Because you listen well. A lot of people listen well. But maturity requires more than just listening to somebody. It's a process and it's a putting on of what you hear into your life. It's a, it's a taking of what you're hearing and looking at your life and saying, God, where does this fit? And when we begin to talk about these things that we're about to talk about, you've got to ask yourself that core question. Do I really want to grow up? Do I really want to mature? Do I want this? It's a double-edged sword. If you're immature, the Bible says you'll be tossed all over the place like a, like a little tiny rubber raft on the ocean, just flying all over the place, man. Things are just going all over and you're hanging on for dear life. Kind of sounds like our life sometimes, right? Yeah, that's how it feels. Like I'm on a little life raft and in the ocean and I'm just going, oh, somebody save me. It's very unstable. It's very insecure. It makes us feel very out of control. And it makes us scramble for things and trying to find what I'm supposed to do in all of these situations. So being immature is not the ideal situation. But when you're immature, you don't know things. You don't have the responsibility of the things that you know. So it's kind of a give and take. You have to ask yourself right here, right now, do you want to mature? Do you want to grow? Because God wants you to. Make no mistake about it. Everything in His Word, everything in here speaks to the fact that He wants you to grow because He wants you to affect your world. He wants you to affect your family. He wants you to affect your culture. And you can't do it if you're immature. You've got to grow up. Jesus says it's time to grow up. In Colossians, the same letter that we were just reading in, we look a little further to the end as he's talking to this same group of, of Christians and he says something really powerful to them. So he starts to get into some deep teaching and he says these words, he says, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. 
teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Powerful scripture here. Let the message of Christ fill your lives. Let the message of Jesus fill your life. Think of that mental picture with me. What it looks like to be full. To what it looks like to be full with something. It's everywhere. It's all you have. You're consumed with it. It's in every part of you. You're full with this message. But then he says something that is so crazy. He doesn't say, and then go to church more. He doesn't say, do spiritual things or look like a Christian or do whatever. He says, teach and counsel each other with the wisdom of God. What is this that we're talking about? What is this picture that we're talking about? It's this picture, once again, in another way, of putting us in each other's lives. Do you know what he says next? Let me read this to you. He goes on to talk about relationships with men and women, children and their parents. He says, submit to each other. He says, children, obey your parents as if it was the Lord talking to you. He says, husbands, pour your lives out for your wives. Wives, submit to your husband's leadership. He's talking about being in each other's lives in this submissive way. My friends, there is a key to our maturity that is inescapable. And it is unfortunately one of the things that you and I in our humanity resist and hate the most. What am I talking about? Talking about submitting my life to you. I'm talking about letting you in. I'm talking about accountability. I'm talking about letting you into the spaces in my life to where you get to see me and I allow you, I give you permission to hold me accountable. This is how we grow. This is the path to maturity. There is no other way. When Jesus had his followers and his disciples, you could see it in their conversations. You could see it in their interaction and their different scenarios played out. Every single time Jesus is dealing with authority. And we hate it. They hated it. None of us want to be told what to do. None of us want to submit to authority. None of us like to have that sense that somebody has the right to get in my space, to get in my business. Does anybody here like that? No. None of us do. And yet, maturity starts with this. So now I'm going to ask you a gut-level question right now. Who are you accountable to? Think about it right now in your life. Think in your own life with, with all of your interactions, with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, with church, with all of the different things that you have going on. Who in your life are you 
accountable to. Some of us in this room are accountable to our spouses. And we've accepted that as a, as a healthy, accountable relationship that God put in our life where we say, before God, I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable for the money that I've spent. I'm accountable for the decisions I make. I'm accountable for the things that I do. In other words, my life doesn't just affect me. It affects her. Some of us are accountable to friends. Some of us are accountable in our workplace. Some of us are accountable to even our relationships with our children. There's all kinds of means that God has placed in our life to hold us accountable. But the question is, are you submitting to it? Are you allowing God to use it in your life to grow you up? Are you allowing it to be the tool in your life that God wants it to be to mature you? I know some men because I've worked in construction my whole life and I've worked around some old construction guys and when they talk, I swear to you, they're talking just like my 16-year-old teenager when it comes to authority. But they're not 16 years old anymore. But somehow, some way. They never learned this. And when we come to Christ, when we come to God, we bring that with us. And one of the first things that Jesus begins to say is, if you want to follow me, you got to lose you. If you want to follow me, I become Lord of your life. I become all to you. Many of us like just like this, this group of Christians, we like to take a little bit of that and then mix it with a whole bunch of our anti-authority thinking and blend it all together and say, all right, Jesus, we got a deal worked out here. Here's the thing, okay? I'll do this part and I'll do that and I'll, you know, all these things. But when it comes to who's really calling the shots of my life, come on, God, I got this. I got this but we don't got this. When we come to Christ, it's an all or nothing proposition. He does not say, come to me and give me part of your life. He doesn't come and he doesn't say, hey, all of you that want to experience the the understanding of, of God and the forgiveness for your sins and a new life restored, just come and just give me like 60% and we'll, we'll work a deal. No, he's like, I want your heart. I want back what I lost. How many of you know that in the very beginning, there was a father who lost his kids? Think about that with me for a minute. Those of you that have children, there's some stories in this room right now of heartbreak because I've talked to some of you who don't have, the, have your biological children in your life right now the way that you would want them. Maybe your visitation is strained or maybe you don't see them like you want to. There's all kinds of factors. But I've heard your heart tell me the pain that you carry of not being able to be with your kids the way that you want to. That same pain that you feel, God feels. Now think about this. What if you had a chance to get your kids back all the way, all the time, everything You would want that, huh? Because that's what restoration and reconciliation is really about. It's bringing back together a relationship that's been torn apart. And that's the picture that sometimes we have to have in our minds of God. He's like, I want all of you. 
Come home. Come back. You have a father who loves you that wants you. Let me have you. And we're in this process of beginning to walk this thing out. Just this last week, I had a conversation with two different people. And it was all about where they were at in their walk with God. And and the situations were very diverse. They were both dealing with the same core issue. They were both dealing with, do I want to grow up? Do I want to mature? One of the people I talked to, their heart was, I want to grow. I want to mature. I'm willing to do anything. I want all that there is. And I won't stop until I'm there. They felt the compelling force of God and they were willing to do what it took. The other one was saying something a little different. They were saying, I want that, but I don't want to do the work or I don't want to do the steps necessary to see that happen. The results are going to be drastically different in those two lives. One is ready to mature and the other one isn't. One wants to get past the milk and get ready for the deep things and the meat of God. To be able to have their eyes opened up, to be able to understand what is really going on requires maturity. It requires growing up. In that first verse that we read, it talks about babies. Just back one page here, it says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. And it says, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for it. Any of you guys ever had a little infant baby? Man, when those little babies are hungry, is there any question in your mind? No. Newborn babies, when they're hungry, they cry out to be fed. They want it. They need it. They're not going to take no for an answer. You can put the pacifier in their mouth as long as you want, but they're going to spit that thing out and they're like, no, I want the bottle or I want the other thing, but you got to give me some nourishment right now because I'm hungry. I'm not satisfied. I need more. I want to grow. I want nourishment. Give it to me. Where's your heart at right here, right now? This is a process that we are all going through. And sometimes you and I, we push those hunger pains aside and we say, no, I don't, I'll just get through a little bit. And even now as I'm talking inside, you're feeling that spiritual appetite start to grow. You're feeling yourself start to get hungry. You're feeling yourself start to say, there's got to be more for me. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the instability. I'm tired of the questions. I'm tired of always running to somebody else for answers. I'm tired. I want to know for me. And the hunger is starting to grow. And God says, cry out. Cry out for this nourishment, for this full experience of salvation, for this understanding of how big and how wide and how broad and how deep this thing really is. 
See, I said a little while ago that our salvation is coming. But in the meantime, you have no idea the provision of God that he has given to us to walk in this world and to live a new life and to be able to affect the world around us and to be able to embody the joy of God and the peace of God and the understanding of everything that God has and everything that God is. It's all right here, right now. It's time for us to cry out. To cry out for that nourishment. To cry out for what God has for us. Let's pray. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com.